Hello and welcome to another episode of Here's What You Could Have Run podcast. This one is the second part of the MDS special, the much anticipated chatting to Lauren after her return from the desert. If you want to hear a sort of preparation thoughts on what went into it, then you want to listen to episode 38 first. Today, she's going to be telling us how she got on. And for anyone that hasn't seen the social media feed, it was very hot, very sandy. And also there was a sort of diarrhea and vomiting bug that was swept through the camp for a couple of days, adding another little element of fun to the uh, extravaganza she had out there. So let's hear how she got on. Oh my God, my insides are on fire! No, no, please, no more, no more. Dad. Okay, okay. I think it's all gone. I think it's... Joining me now again is Lauren, fresh back from her little jaunt across the desert. So uh, welcome back, Lauren. Thank you. Thanks for having me back on. And the uh, most important question we all want to ask is, did you get attacked by any camel spiders? <laughs> Not attacked, no, but we did actually find a camel spider in our in our tent one morning. Yeah. And how big are they? They're actually not as big as, as I thought they'd be. They're, I mean, they, they're a good size, but they're really fast. That's what freaked me out the most, is that I actually think if one wanted to go for you, you'd, you'd have to put a good spin on. <laughs> I think some of the horror stories you hear, they say they're like the size of dinner plates, don't they? But... Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't too, I mean, I don't know, maybe it was sort of a younger one, but I, I didn't stick around to, to ask how old it was. I was like, <laughs> quick video, run, back off. <laughs> Yeah, I did show some of the photos from the um, the official Twitter feed to the wife and said, look, the tent's all open so all the creatures can get out. And uh, she well, was, yeah, but that also can... means they can get in. <laughs> yeah, well, the guys next door had a scorpion on theirs on the first day. They like to go into, like, the folds of the tent. So in the mornings, the birders come round. Um, and it's amazing. I've got it all on video. Kind of, they just go one, two, three, and they lift the whole thing off in one go. And, of course, all these little things come uh, <laughs> scurrying out which is slightly scary spent the night sleeping right next to it so so we're recording this uh wednesday when did you get back to the uk i got back monday just got on so 11th of october yeah so you're kind of adjusting back to normal life to some extent yeah yeah it's um i mean it's been a like a really wild ride like i've come back to just um it's all a bit surreal to be honest I don't think my feet have quite yet touched the ground but I'm back to work tomorrow so um nice. I think things will start <laughs> to feel a bit more normal then but yeah it's, it's been a crazy few days and a couple of weeks you'd have forgotten you over out there right? <laughs> yeah it's like a distant memory already I've had all my tent mates this morning text each other going we really miss you oh, <laughs> like to each other on me it's really weird you totally adapt within 24 hours um and it's almost harder adapting coming back somehow because you it's such a simple way of living it's well, really that's lovely syndrome, is it? that's what sorry Stockholm syndrome you'll kind of form a bond against adversity but... yeah yeah very much so it's exactly that and um you kind of get very used to just living with the basics and i, I really liked it I, I loved desert living i i loved the simplicity of it if you haven't like, put a tent up in the garden and gone to sleep out there yet not yet no <laughs> i might leave that all till springtime but <laughs> well, for starting at the beginning then when we last spoke obviously you were doing your final bits of packing etc 
how what's the journey like going from you know leafy rainy England to being stood somewhere in a desert mm. yeah well we we flew from Gatwick and it was an early start I think our flight I seem to remember was about I can't remember now about 10 a.m on the way out obviously need a couple of hours ahead to check in mm. so uh, and it's a chartered flight so everyone arrives together all at the yeah oh. <laughs> and the charity hope for children came out to um see the three of us off there's three of us running for, for hope for children so that was a really nice send-off um and you know once you're on the plane like everyone on the plane is doing mds so there was kind of a real buzz of excitement and um there was a lot of chatter and then you land in um i still can't pronounce it erratiata i think it's called i don't know probably got that wrong. i hope not to offend any moroccans listening in on this um and uh, it's about an hour coach journey from there. But the, the arrival in the airport's amazing. I mean, like Patrick Bowers there, Steve Diedrich was there. They've got all these like Moroccan musicians with like drums and singing. Mm -hmm. And they put out this spread of sort of like Moroccan um, sort of biscuits. And then they serve like this really nice sweet mint tea, which you actually end up getting at the end of each stage as well. So it's a really warm welcome. We got a coach out to the desert. It was less, literally less than an hour to, to bivouac one um, and it was when we sort of finally turned off the road and you see the the black tents like the formation that you kind of see on yeah. social media and stuff and you suddenly just go oh my god this is actually it we are here um and it's a bit surreal you know so you almost feel like you're in a film set you know that you're kind of visiting like universal studios or something <laughs> it's really weird um and yeah and so you know you sort of get settled in for the first couple nights obviously you have all your own stuff well no sorry for the first night you have all your own stuff and then you get rid of your suitcase the next day so you can have some creature comforts on the first night so I did actually take um a big blow-up mattress so that I could have at least two nights kind of half decent sleep and then ditched that left that with the Berbers on uh, on race day morning um and, you know, just you sort of you have your bits and bobs with you. So it's quite comfortable for the first couple of nights. You get fed. Um, they put on a really nice feast for you. Um, so it's um, it's, you know, it's pretty it's it's, it's nice, actually. I find it's, it's a nice for a transition. It's not straight from, yeah, getting off the plane to being in the desert, eating your dehydrated ration packs. Yeah, they do kind of ease you in quite nicely. Um, and so come race morning, so that's when you become self-sufficient. Um, starting from breakfast, it's, you know, you kind of know what you're doing I'm at that point. Yeah, feels pretty comfortable. So that first day, the day after in camp, you do all the sort of safety checks and stuff like that. So what's that involved? Yeah, so uh, technical check day, um, it's... Um, it's quite a lengthy process, but I mean, they've got it down to a T. Um, you have to queue for a little bit. They do it by numbers, obviously. Um, and you have two different time slots. So mine was actually the later time slot. So I had like all morning to kind of sort through my stuff and make final decisions um, and what kit I was going to take and what I wasn't. But yeah, it's, it's once you get kind of into the system, it moves quite quickly. They do your weigh in and they check your ECG. Um, then they issue you with water and salt tabs, you have your photo done and it's it's probably about 45 minutes an hour and then you've got the whole day to sort of chill out. Um, come the evening, 
the so that the bivouac like the, the tents i don't know if you see they're kind of formed in two circles like one side of the other i mean how the berbers get that perfect circle every day i, I don't know um, <laughs> um but they might they put it off every day anyway so they they call everyone into the center of the of the bivouac and um patrick bauer comes out off of his jeep and he does a big brief and then um they've marked out the number 35 so they got everyone into it and had the helicopters flying around. It was a really, really good atmosphere. It was, you know, it was it was as exciting as, as you could hope for it to be, you know, the night before the big day. Um, I presume at that point, though, because you're, you're in the middle of the desert doing all the safety checks, did anyone forget anything? Because <laughs> you're not like you can put um, down Tesco's. I don't know of anyone that that, that um, forgot anything, but one of the things they give you is a, um, so you have like a water card um, and a medical card, both attached again, you have to have it with you and it's part of the mandatory kit. Mm. Um, and one of my tent mates went off to get registered and I found his water card on the floor. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> So Ali, one of the other guys, went running off to go find Leon, um, which he was thankful we managed to kind of catch okay, it just well. time because he would have taken a penalty before they even started the race. Yeah. Uh, everything's got a penalty attached to it. So no, I don't know anyone who um, he forgot anything. That was that week. Did they managed. even sort of centurion events for their hundreds? They often were shops that out there because someone always forgets something. But yeah, no, they do have a little stall that, that, that the Berbers um, sell little trinkets and things from. Oh, and yeah. actually one thing I, it's not so much that I forgot, it's just that for the, for like a change of clothes in the, in the day, after you've like, you've done each stage, I've taken like a, a full of, sorry, full, a pair of, of full length um, compression tights and a thermal top. Um, because I was told it was really cold at night time, but because of the time of year we went, it turns out it wasn't that cold at all. <laughs> and of course you're coming in from each stage, maybe three, four o'clock when it's still really hot. So I suddenly, I was like, I don't, I've got nothing, you know, everyone else has bought like shorts and stuff. Yeah. So I actually went to the, the Berber stall and bought some like harem trousers. <laughs> <laughs> so I spent my week looking like Princess Jasmine from Aladdin. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. And they were really nice. It was like they were really lightweight and uh, I mean they were massively oversized, they only come in one size. I was constantly kind of hitching them up, but <laughs> quite like them. Got them you look like a local, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, yeah, typically quite authentic. What's it like? How nervous is everyone after you know this is in particular one that I suppose most people waited nearly two years for, and you're finally there. Yeah. You've done your kit check. You're about to go. So I think that? it wasn't so much nerves. It was just more. I think we were all just like sprung coils at that point. We like to say it's been two years in the making for the majority mm. of people there. There weren't many people there who'd only entered just this year. Um, I only spoke to a handful of people throughout the week, and. Um, so I think it was just more a case of like excitement and, and you kind of eager to get going. Um, and so everyone settled because it gets dark really early there. I mean, by about six o'clock, it's, it's quite dark. So you sort of tend to have your evening meal, like half five, six ish. And then that's it, you just go to bed. Um, but we actually had a sandstorm that night. So the night before the stage one, oh. the wind picked up and all night, literally all night, this sandstorm went on. Um, and there was literally tents coming down. People were having to sort of rebuild their tents in the night. One tent I spoke to ended up with the toilet block literally in sort of blowing onto their tents. I mean, it, it literally was like chaos. Um, so we kind of woke up on the day of Marathon Saab having prepared for two years, having had like 
17 minutes sleep. Nice. <laughs> and, and as you mentioned it there, we, we have to mention the toilet process. Yes. But obviously, I'm expecting luxury portalers, yeah, just like at London Marriott. <laughs> just like it, just like at a wedding yeah. in England. <laughs> so the I've actually made a video of this, uh, not like I show at the moment, but um, I did watch I it. it. This, did you have seen it? This is um, well, I figured that this would be a, a big question. Well, I was already getting loads of people asking how to yeah. how to do what they're in the desert. Um, so, so for number ones, mostly people just walked out in the desert, and there's not really much to hide behind. So it didn't take long before you just kind of stop caring, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but for, for number twos, they've got like these lovely cubicles, which are basically just like a. They've just kind of got like a plastic curtain which flaps about in the wind. So actually you sit there doing your business with people just looking in. It's, it's really <laughs> not great. Um, so, yeah, then they give you these what they call caca sacks, uh, this brown bag. And, and there's like a, a seat, like almost like a, if you imagine like a garden chair, but without the padding. Um, and you put a rock in it. So that is key put a rock in the bottom of it because it's really windy quite often especially in the mornings um so obviously the, the, the rock kind of weighs it down to save any nasty accidents um and you do your business and then you there's there's a bin outside and you just put it in there I bet I smell <laughs> you feel so dirty like you literally like it was the one thing I never got used to I, I loved desert living I loved cooking my on my little stove I love, you know, kind of washing using a bottle and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, doing a desert poo never <laughs> got any easier. <laughs> so um, all the days are different lengths then. So I've been, and I don't announce them before, do they? So I've kind of followed the Twitter feed. So day one was 32 kilometres, which sounds, you know, I suppose in Britain, that would sound like a relatively easy run, but in a desert yeah. after like 17 minutes, Kit, because you've been right. sandblasted all night, I imagine it's yeah. not. It's, yeah, it's not. So we do get given the, a road book, which I've got here, um, on the coach as you as you leave the airport. So you do get you do get to see what you're doing throughout the week. I don't think, from what I've heard from speaking to other people, they don't publicise it, though. So a lot of people are saying to say they, they didn't know what we were doing. Mm. Um, the only day they kept um a secret was the the mystery stage which they just put that in the middle of the book mm. so that was the long stage um and of course then there was lots of speculation about whether it was going to be 100k was it going to be more elevation like no one really knew um but yeah day one was was 32 what did we say it was 32.2 um but yeah quite right it's it's not your average 32.2 i mean it's actually reasonably flat um, but a lot of it's sandy. You get like these little dune fields, um, which you can run, and, and the elite do run them. But they're really energy zapping. So actually, kind of gets to the point where you, you just might as well walk it because you're just wasting so much energy um, what, trying what to run. The temperature like in the desert then? So yeah. day one, I believe, is about fifty-one degrees. It was insane. I can't tell you. I've never you. even been somewhere that hot. I'm not sure I even saw it. I haven't been. And actually, it started off all right because even though we tended to have like a slightly later start, it was like a 9 a.m. start, mm. which, you know, bear in mind, you're awake by half five, six. Like we could have gone so much earlier. I, I was wondering why the starts are so late because if yeah, you had your own choice, I'm sure you'd have gone as soon as the sun came up. Yeah, but I think happily, happily would have gone much earlier. 
um I don't know what they did do though is they did bring it forward by about half an hour 45 minutes after the first day um but yeah so it it just got so hot that day one particularly there were two checkpoints and it was from checkpoint two to the end which was about 11 kilometers um and it was also through a dune field so not only was it really hot but you couldn't really run it so you were just out there for that much longer um, and I was having some difficulties out there. I mean, not anywhere near as much as others had, but I certainly felt really dizzy and lightheaded. I was literally swaying at one point and having to really concentrate on just trying to put one foot in front of the other. And I, and I know I was kind of zigzagging a little bit. Um, you know, it's sort of, you can see, that's the other thing, a lot of it's so flat that you can actually see the finish line for literally miles. And it's like a mirage, like you just, you just think it's never getting any closer. <laughs> so it's not like you're doing, yeah, sort of seven minute miles to bring it closer, are you? It is, no, no. I mean, I think I averaged, you know, on a, on a good, if I was, you know, on a good flat run, I was doing about 11 and a half, 12 minute miles. Because obviously you've got your pack on as well, which does get a little bit lighter throughout the week. But, you know, day one, mine was about nine kilograms with water. Um you know try and run with that in the sand you're not you know well exactly yeah day one was very much about just getting used to desert conditions I had no idea what my pace would be like I certainly didn't want to push it I, I worked my heart rate throughout the entire week um and just how I felt as well obviously but um yeah day one was just very much kind of setting and I must admit it was a bit of a shock to the system I did finish it thinking I was quite worried as were a lot of people because it was just so hot which made it so hard and you kind of feel like day one should be easing in a little bit but it was like straight into the furnace and it was like like this is you know incredibly incredibly hot yeah that is a dark temperature so you did day one in just under five hours looking at results yeah that's right i think 453 something like that yeah and you ended up uh 140th position out of 70 starters so even on day one you're doing you know you're moving well up yeah i was quite surprised at that um my husband did um text me to say that i'd finished 11th lady i think that day and i was like are you sure <laughs> I was genuinely really shocked because I felt like I was having such a rough time out there yeah. um which then I must admit then gave me the focus to want to try and get to within the top 10 even if just for one day so then Tuesday yeah. I had more of a focus and I did set out with a bit more intent and Tuesday was similar lengths as said according to the website 32-ish yeah it was that a mile longer I seem to remember got it here uh, is it 33 there's two and a half. Oh, yeah, so. so it's a similar length of time. It says that you're crossing, you cross the mythical dunes of Mazuga, was what it said yeah, in the Twitter. So, We're all well impressed. You look at the roadbook and you go, oh, there's two and a half. That's only like a promise more than yesterday. Well, I did yesterday. That was all right. What we don't realise it's 13 kilometres of dunes. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and these were big dunes. These were proper big, not like the dune fields where you get like little lumps of sand that you can run through if you really, really yeah. push it. These were big dunes. And my goodness, it was, again, quite a shock to the system. So as I say, I kind of set off that day. I kind of, kind of sussed it out. I had like a good kind of water routine and they give you salt taps, which you're meant to take two every bottle. Um, 
so I had that and I was also drinking lots of tailwind as well so I was like between the two I felt quite good I felt quite white well hydrated actually um and it was 13 kilometers to the dunes which is actually quite a nice flat run through a couple of villages I think there were some mines as well um and then 13 kilometers of the dunes and then like I think there was 6k or something the other side of it which in your head you go oh 6k like I'll just get that done when you get to it you're utterly exhausted your legs are like journey it's like the longest 6k of your life um but it took me I seem to remember about one hour 42 to get to checkpoint one which is literally just at the, at the foot of the dunes um when I got going in the dunes it took me 45 minutes to do three kilometers and I wasn't messing about I was yeah. you know I was, I was walking with intent <laughs> um and I suddenly realised how I was going to be there in hours and it was so hot already. It was already like really hot. And I don't know what time of day it was. Um, I can't remember what time it set off that day, like 8.30 maybe? 8.30, according to the tracker. Yeah, so 8.30, 9.30, 10.00, 10.15, 10.30. Really hot already. I don't know how hot it was, but it, it was, it, you could feel it. Um, and so I did have a slight wobble at that point. Just when I did my calculations and realised I was it was going I was in there for a long time. There was no checkpoint within the dune. There were medics around, mm. um, but you had to get through. And they gave you loads of water. It's just a case of managing it. But um, yeah, so it took me just under three hours to get to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been so happy to do a checkpoint in my life. Um, yeah. It's really really tough getting up and down those dunes. And is there anything to look at but literally just big sandy dunes no. and like sweaty runner in front of you? Like literally no. I mean they are really beautiful, but it is the same thing. Oh, yeah. that <laughs> As I came out the other side, there was this American guy called Lucas who actually managed to get a bit better um, get to know a bit better throughout the week. But that was my first kind of um time that I'd come across him. And he was like, oh, my God, that was fucking awesome. <laughs> and I was like, that is not the word I would have used for those. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, I was like, yeah, admittedly, they were beautiful. But God, that was like brutal. <laughs> they were pretty beautiful for the first hour and after that. Yeah. Did yeah, you tend then, to run on your own or with, can you kind of run with people or are you so different? Yeah, I ran with quite a few people, actually, which is really nice. It does really help. Um one from a social aspect but also if I was chatty then I knew I was going at an okay pace mm. um, because I do have a um, tendency to kind of get a little bit down go down a rabbit hole and before I know it's I'm sort of you know peaking a bit too soon yeah. Um, so yeah no you did you, I did chat to Lucy so I made some great friends out there um throughout the week really Both, that long together you probably share your entire life stories with each other yeah you do it's that weird thing of like it's just like this weird bond it's like the mds family you just talk about anything i mean you talk about there's a lot of toilet talk actually <laughs> <laughs> i mean there was no whole side on that at all um from the off so um yeah you hear and obviously with the the whole thing setting in with the, the sickness but, when did that really yeah. kick in then? Because I don't often that their Twitter feed, oddly enough, didn't put anything on it. But reading a few bits from other people that have come back, it did seem yeah. like vomiting and diarrhea was a very popular way to spend your day. Yeah. Um, so the but like it's, so there appeared to be two things going on. There was a lot of like heat stroke, 
So people were vomiting those and they just couldn't keep their water down. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, two of my tent mates ended up DNFing within the first couple of days um, because of the heat. And it, I can't, can't tell you how hot it was. It was unbearable at times. Um, but then there was a sickness and diarrhea thing which kicked in as well. So I think the two were separate. But um, so I think it was around about stage two, like day two, stage two, um, people were starting to, like, I remember that night, you could hear a lot of vomiting. Mm. And then the night after that, it was absolutely rife. And it, it really was, I mean, it was like a war zone. Um, and I, I don't say that lightly. It, it was, it, it got to the point where it was pretty scary, actually, because we were seeing things that you just don't want to ever see. But also then there's the thing of like desperately trying to avoid it because you don't want your race to end mm. because of the bug. You know, we've got through the pandemic. <laughs> we got through a fuel shortage. Like, please don't let this be the thing that stops me from getting yeah. <laughs> to the end of the MDS. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty bad. So there was one night, so I believe it was the third night, all night. No one slept. All night, all you could hear was people just retching. And when no. you woke up in the morning, you walked out to do your morning wee, and you had to be really careful where you slept. <laughs> it was everywhere. The cubicles were completely out of view. I went to go and use one, and I was—I I couldn't. I started heaving. What was awful. Slightly disturbed by it, if I'm honest. <laughs> Scarf alive. Oh, <laughs> it was awful. Yeah, so that, but then that seemed to be the peak of it because then we went into the long stage and we'd had such a high DNF at that point. So I seem to remember it was 39 on day one and then it was like another 60, I think, on day two or 80, actually. I think it was 80 and mm. then another 120. And that's out of 672 people, so that's a lot. Yeah, so like 240, I think, had gone by the end of day three. Uh, so normally about five percent dnf in total the mds yeah. and you're like we're more like 50 percent. yeah yeah it, it was it was all it was i feel so awful for all those people who didn't make it, it it's it's a horrible thing that happened yeah. i know there's a lot of talk about it a lot of controversy and and you know a lot of sort of angry upset people and understandably so um you know, it's, just, it's not like it was, you know, they uh, they were feeding you and gave you dodgy meat or something, is it? It's a bug that somebody obviously yeah. brought with them and spread this is it. it. We just don't know where it came from. I mean, it's, I, I don't think the organisers can be blamed. I don't want to kind no. of get into any sort of heavy discussion with that, but I, I can't, it, it came from somewhere, whether someone was ill when they got on the plane and it spread or, but, you know, once it started spreading, it, it was, it, what do you do no, you know ultimately no. hygiene is questionable out there you do your best but not everyone mm. i mean we saw some horrible levels of hygiene like i mean oh i've got the stories to tell you really want them but um you know some people's hygiene is really questionable um and then of course you know if you've got someone in your tent who has it you've got nowhere else to sleep so mm. you might your hygiene might be really really good and you might go to you know all lengths to to avoid picking up germs but ultimately if it's a bug and you're literally sleeping next to someone who's got it yeah. 
You're going to get it, yeah. What else you can do? So, yeah, it was, it was awful. It was, it was truly disgusting. And I feel so sorry for those people who had to DNF because of it. Well, I, I know people with the MDF always go, oh, there's with the sandiest, the hottest year ever. You can have the most diarrhea filled ever. Yeah, there was a lot the of it. to fame, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was pretty rough, to say the least. <laughs> now, um, on a yeah, more sad note, then obviously day two, as they put on again on their Twitter feed, and that's your sadly a death or a competitor, I think. I think they said it's only the third in the 35 years, so it's, it's something, yeah, fortunately very rare, but uh, yes. what was that like in camp, and when did you find out? And um, So this was on day two, and it was with the, the, the guy who died, died in the dunes, and we later turned, found out that the dunes were 56 degrees that day. So it was 53 degrees everywhere else, but in the dunes it was 56, and... Um, yeah, the cardiac arrest uh, and the, the helicopters were deployed, but it was sort of too late by the time they got there. Um, <clears throat> so it was really tough It because I'd, I'd finished, I think this had happened about 5 p.m. and I'd got back, I'd finished the stage by then. Um, so it took a while and then sort of really started to circulate and we sort of started to hear that something happened and the helicopters gone out. And anyway, um, Patrick Bauer sort of summoned us all into the middle of the bivouac that evening and it was very urgent so previous to that whenever they asked us to go in there'd be a, a warning and then they'd have the music going and there'd be a siren to call everyone in the marshals came out and said everyone has to go to center bivouac now um so we knew already what was a, a, you know what was about to be said um <clears throat> and patrick got up on on his jeep and made the announcement and it, it was it was awful. Yeah, I mean, we, we all do these things because they're difficult, these ultras, but you don't actually ever expect someone to die doing it, do you? It's, you don't expect to go out and lose your life. You expect yeah. to go out and, and, and run a really tough race, um, but you don't expect not to come back. And um, he he made he was clearly heartbroken by it. Um, he's you know he's a very passionate, invested man. Mm. Um, particularly with with his own events and um, so the next morning <clears throat> we held a minute silence on the start line so that the mood in camp was very somber the moment you woke oh, up yeah. you could feel it was heavy um, and then to add to that my friend John had DNF'd overnight as had Anna uh, sorry tell you like, he DNF'd the day before and Anna, my friend, was about to DNF. She had a really rough night and, and we, we were kind of hoping she'd pull through. So it was just a really, really heavy start to the day. Um, so we did the minute silence and then they played a song. So apparently within the, the, the competitive field, there was a guy who's very well known in France. He's a musician um, and he'd chosen a song which is about sort of brotherhood and, and camaraderie. And they played that and then they uh, had the whole group follow his tent mates. So his tent mates led the pack um, for about hundred meters we walked and then we sort of got going after that, but it was all in silence and it was, it was really somber. And it was, it was, you know, it was a nice tribute, um, but just not what you'd expect. Um, yeah, obviously, it's, it's something you know at a running race ultimately. 
Um, are you worried yeah. at that point? Because obviously it's over social media that someone had died. Is, are you worried that you know your friends and family are seeing that and not knowing whether it's a man or a woman or? Yeah, well, they, yeah. So um, I'd already text my husband to say I'm fine. We're fine. It's no one that we mm. we know. Um, I was, and my husband's sort of quite a level-headed guy. He would have read that and kind of not panicked, obviously been concerned. Uh, I was worried about my mum though, because my mum was terrified of me going to MDS and has been for the last two years. She's a real warrior, as in like she worries lots and lots. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> so I, I was really worried that she'd get news of it before talking to my husband um, and panic. But I mean, it, it, was, it was all fine. I did text her, but um, it was all fine um, from, from that end. Um, but yeah, it certainly gave everyone sort of a thing, probably like a kick at the backside because a lot of people weren't taking water. They were leaving it behind. You know, some people perhaps weren't quite efficient with their salt tabs. So I think, you know, certainly it, it just gave everyone a bit of a, um, a bit of a kick just to make sure that they stayed on top of hydration. I mean, mentally that must have been quite hard days for you if that's when people are getting sick a lot as well when they've got that in the back of the mind. That yeah, it was a rough 48 hours. I have to say it, it was rough. I mean, that day was very sombre um, and just ended up being quite a hard day for him because it was another hot day. And then the the route we took, um, the, sort of the last section of it between checkpoint two and three. So it was the first day we had three checkpoints because it was now like more like 23 miles. Um, and uh, the from checkpoint three couldn't get right comes between two and three anyway um was a wazzy like a dried up riverbed and it was massive as well and it was obviously at one time a really huge wide river um mm. completely dry and it literally felt like we were in the deadest part of the planet <laughs> it was literally the most like desolate barren like sort of scenery and um <laughs> And I, I, I was getting quite grumpy, actually. It was the only time in the entire week I wanted, I was really questioning life choices where I was just, I just wanted to be angry with everyone. <laughs> I was angry with myself for entering it. I was angry with MDS for putting on such a ridiculous event. <laughs> I was angry with all the other runners for taking me because they were doing better than me. <laughs> it was just, I had a real grump out there. Um, but it was, it really, it was a really tough afternoon. Um, and again, another hot one, but we kind of made it through to the ends and, and then it was a long stage. Yeah, I mean, those first three days are sort of, sort of 32 to 37 K, so they're still relatively short, aren't they? But still taking a long time. Yeah. And then, yeah. so yeah. when did you find out the, how far the long stage was then? Because you said it was a secret in the book. So was it literally that morning you woke up and... Uh, no, so we found out at the end of stage three. So as we came in, they gave us another handbook, which is. <laughs> and you were hoping four. it was a five k park run. You were hoping it. Ah. Well, I didn't open it at first. Actually, I was just like, I crossed state the, the line at stage three, um, and I think I seem to, to remember just kind of like kneeling down for a little bit and just having a moment of like, oh my god, like that was awful. Um, and they're giving me the book, and I was like, I'm just not ready to open it. I just need to like debrief a little bit um and I got back to the tent and uh the a couple of other tent mates were in there and um and then one of the guys came along and he was like we've seen tomorrow it's 82k <laughs> and I was like I wasn't ready 
<laughs> I was like, I wasn't ready. But actually, it wasn't as far as I thought it would be. I'd had in my head it was going to be hundred k. Um, so it was a pleasant surprise. But the big mystery um, was that the the, the famous Jebel, which I actually can't remember the name of, um, which they always make an appearance in Marathon de Saab, was to be climbed at night time in the dark. So that was a nice. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I in my <laughs> non-expert mode just kind of figured the desert's mostly flat with the odd dune. I didn't realize there were actual mountains in it. Yeah. So L L I've got it here. My pronunciation is terrible. So apologies once again to any Moroccans listening in. Um, yeah, so that was an interesting day. <laughs> so you know you've got 50 miles to run with a big mountain in it in the dark. Yeah, at like 60k <laughs> in, like that. Yeah, 64 kilometers in. Um, yeah, so yeah, it, it, so. Stage four is a long day. Um, now, at towards the end of the previous day, part of the reason I was having a bit of a rough time is I started to pick up, I'm sorry if this is too much information, but this is the reality of, of doing something like this. I started to pick up like sort of waterworks issues. So I was really struggling to pee. I was drinking loads and loads and loads, but it, and I was barely going. And when I did it really burnt, it was very uncomfortable. So I'd been to the medic tent, they'd given me some stuff to drink overnight. Um, and I woke up on the long stage day feeling all right actually um, I set off with a really strict strategy because at this point I was ranking quite well <laughs> so I was I've been first British lazy for the previous two days and ranking sort of around about the top 10 and I'm really competitive once I get I'm like a dog with a bone so I was like you know I want to kind of go and be really sensible about this it's a long way to go I'm not going to go off crazy but if I've got a strategy then I'll, I'll stick to it and I'll be all right um so I set off and I think I got about 20k in all was fine and well went to do a wee and I was like oh no <laughs> Back. It's so good. <laughs> so I managed to get some paracetamol at, at the next uh, checkpoint, um, and they said you can't have anything for six hours. It's like a really strong pill. Um, as it happened, it didn't touch the side. So, um, so no. Not only could I not now have any further medication, but it was actually feeling worse. Um, and I was getting to the point where running was very uncomfortable. So I was, I was trying to sort of walk and kind of sort of stride out quite sort of fast but it it was really uncomfortable um by the time I got to the next checkpoint it was really hot now as well so another hot day I think possibly marginally cooler than the other days but when I say cooler we're talking maybe 50 versus 53 oh, okay, uh, <laughs> yeah, so the day was just somewhat kinder to us um and I, I got into the checkpoint and, and I'd taken a water penalty because I was like it, it because I was walking um, the water just wasn't enough in between the checkpoints. So I, I went in and, and I sort of said to them in, in, a, in a slight rage, um, I was like, it's too hot. You need to give out more water. And, and they sort of said something in French to me. And I was like, and they were like, they offer you two or three. Two's like the legal amount. Three is a time penalty. I was like, just give me three, just give me three. And I was like, I'll take the penalty. Um, went out to one of the medics and said to her, I'm really struggling. Like, please give me something. And she said, you have to get to the bivouac. And when you get to the bivouac, they'll do a, a pee sample and, and treat you accordingly. And I was like, I'm not going to get to the bivouac. I, I need help now. And I was literally crying and begging. I was like, please help me. I, I'm, 
I'm very, very, I'm in a lot of pain. Um, and she went, it's not really anything we can do. Um, so I kind of took it upon myself at that point, having done like a little bit of sort of medical <laughs> maths and self-treating. Um, I realized that by taking the salt tabs, obviously that helps you retain fluid and I needed to get things flowing. So I stopped taking the salt tabs. Um, I did wait to the cooler part of the day. Yeah. Um, and it took a few hours to kind of kick in, but sure enough, um, I was sort of starting to feel a bit better. By this point, I'd messaged Helen and said, I'm really struggling. I, I don't know if I can get this done. We exchanged a couple of texts and then she said, would it help if I got Twitter to contact you? Let's text you. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I was like, I just need any help right now. And the next thing I knew, my phone, I mean, you don't get much signal in the desert. And I generally, I wasn't really using my phone, but I could receive normal SMS text messages. My phone, whenever it picked up signal, was flooded with all these amazing texts from people, complete strangers, just sort of saying, you know, just words of encouragement. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And at this point, things were feeling better. The, the day was a lot cooler. And I actually found like a, a second wind. And I, I managed to kind of actually run for quite a bit. Um, got to the next checkpoint. was feeling pretty good at this point. Carried on through. We got into some dunes. It was dark at this point. And it was just amazing. Um, I've got this video that I took. So I was trying to do a video diary throughout the day. Um, and I've got this video where I, I almost sound like I'm a bit drunk. I'm just like, I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> I was like, you know, the stars are out. I kept turning my head torch off and just looking up. It was, you know, I was out in the desert. There wasn't really many people around at this point. It was like in a distance behind me, I could see sort of the, the oncoming lights. But ahead, there was nothing other than the, the glow sticks that they put out to mark the course. Um, and I was having a lovely time out there. I was just like, you know, this is incredible. Um, and then the next checkpoint was one before the Jebel. Um, and then that was in interesting as well. I mean, again, actually, I know a lot of people really hated it and were really shocked by it. Um, I quite enjoyed the Jebel because, again, it was just another level of completely bonkers. <laughs> it was one of those things you don't, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. So you might as well just enjoy it and just, you know, take in the enormity Wasn't of this challenge. Like ropes to climb up and stuff as well. Yeah. yeah. So there were, there were ropes. So I think the overall elevation for that entire section, I think, was something like 2,800 feet. Uh, about 900 metres, I think that works out as. Not all of it was by rope, but a lot of it was. And not only was it rope, but you were actually on sand, and it was a 25% incline. <laughs> <laughs> you're literally feeling like you're vertical, and you're literally sort of like, I'd say maybe ankle deep in sand. It was quite deep, loose sand, because some of the, the sand in the, in the tar is quite hard packed. It is quite runnable sometimes. This definitely wasn't runnable, it wasn't even walkable. Um, so you're really like clinging on to this rope for dear life. And, you know, and I kept thinking, don't look down, go, I'm a little bit scared of heights. So actually it works out quite well that it was in the dark for me. So I didn't actually see just like <laughs> how extreme the drop was. Um, and I, I just kept thinking, don't look down. And so then of course you look down because, you know, your, your mind does the opposite of what you're telling it to. Um, at which point I realised there was a sheer drop. Mm. Um, <laughs> so I was like, oh my God. Um, this is really something else. Um, but as I say, I quite enjoyed it, but it was really hard, though, like physically tough. And I consider myself to be quite a fit person. 
um, I had to stop several times just to let my heart rate come down because I, could, I felt like my heart was going to jump out my, my chest and my thighs were burning. <laughs> it was just crazy. It was honestly completely nutty bonkers. <laughs> and I suppose it's the sort of thing in Britain you just can't train for short of breaking into buildings no. and running up and down the sandpaths. No. I mean, we do have mountains in Britain if you look hard for them, but we certainly don't have sandy mountains. No. So yeah, that was that was sort of that was something else. And then the rest of the stage, um, as we come down the other side of the Jebel, that was quite hard as well because it was really technical. But it, it wasn't necessarily sort of all that runnable, even if you've got good sort of technical experience. I mean, I don't have huge amounts of technical experience, but I'm fairly confident. Um, the thing about it is that it's night time, there's lots of rocks and lots of overhangs. So I was literally each step at a time looking over for snakes and things like that. And I did later hear someone did come across a viper and a oh. load of campfires. So thank God that wasn't me. But um, <laughs> I was tempted to wait for someone else to catch me up and let them go down first and see if they got <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> There was a guy um, not far behind me an Irish guy and at one point he fell and sort of landed on his bum and he was sort of effing and blinding and I was like I sort of shouted like are you all right um and anyway we ended up completing the rest of the stage together so I think we spent a good four or five hours together he was absolutely hilarious his name is Daniel from Ireland um and he he really saved it for me actually because he was also walking at this stage I think his, he was suffering with his knees or something he had poles so he gave one to me um, and we just kind of got through the stage together and, you know, it was still a good, I don't know what it was actually. Well, so I mean, it's a 50 mile day, so even in Britain, walking at the end of a 50 mile day is a particularly surprising. Yeah, well, it was, yeah, like another 20 kilometres to go. And when you're walking that, that takes a good few hours right. in the sand. So we, we sort of finished together about two o'clock in the morning. I, honestly, there were points I didn't think I'd get through. I was, I was actually starting to prepare my mind for DNFing at one point. Um, you know, I, I sort of started to go through the motions of, of how it would affect me, how I'd tell my kids, how I would deal with it. You know, in, in general, I've DNF once before and it, <laughs> I didn't take it all that well. And this was so much bigger in my head than, than previous experiences. So well, um, I mean, you were still moving up the field that day, weren't you? So you I was amazed to then find yeah. out I came <laughs> Still, I, I can't remember what I ranked that day in the women. I think maybe 11. Yeah, can't remember. I mean, I've got your um, overall ranking. It's still first British lady. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was just like, how? <laughs> I had a complete stinker out there. I presume you were a long way off cut-off that day, even getting in at 2 o'clock, I presume. You were yeah, well, the cut-off that day was 32 hours. I was doing the 17, so I actually yeah. still <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, you could have probably yeah. done twice if you wanted to. I mean, maybe next time, but not this right. time. <laughs> Never again. Um, yeah, so the, the people who came in last Saturday did it in 29 hours, two French ladies. And it was right at the end of, of rest day. And um, we were, again, we were all kind of like summoned to the finish line. It was a lovely atmosphere. Everyone went and cheered them in. And the camels that came in just behind them. Um, and it was, it was great. I mean, that's a good thing with MDS. It, there's so much camaraderie and, and so much kind of like brotherhood, you know, just everyone, regardless of, of what nation you're running for, helps each other out. But the, um, so I mean, by that point, when you finish at two o'clock in the morning, so you've got 
or full day of rest basically on the rest day. By that point, you're confident you're going to finish. You've done the, the longest, hardest day, the biggest climb. You've got just a marathon left. Yeah. I mean, so at that point, you do without sort of, you don't want to be too cocky because anything can happen at any time. Because the whole day vomiting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in your mind, you kind of think something really, really bad has to happen to stop mm. me finishing now. Um, and at this point, like the sickness bug, it, it had gone. So the, you know, I guess sort of the long day, anyone who went into it feeling unwell, possibly, probably didn't, didn't make it. So it did kind of filter out the last of the sickness bug. So rest day was a very calm day, actually, um, which was quite nice, given we'd had a couple of nights of, of, of you know, well, just no sleep and, and lots of horrible sounds out in camp. Um, so, um, yeah, the rest day was just very chill. But so hot again. And the funny thing is, is that you sat there, it's almost somehow harder to sit in it than it is to run in it. How I that works. I was going to say, what do you do on a rest day? It's not like you're on a, you know, nice all-inclusive no. I mean, you've hotel got all the pool. Yeah, so I'd slept from like three till five in the morning. That's all the sleep I'd had. Somehow didn't feel particularly tired on it. Um, obviously, just sort of sit around eating. But I found it really hard to just sit in the tent because they're so hot. Mm. I don't know why they have black tents in the desert. Um, but they And they're really thick as well. They're like a thick wool. Um, so I found it easy to sort of get up and walk around a little bit. But then obviously, I'm not necessarily resting my legs. Um, so I sort of try and combine the two but yeah I mean you don't really do much on rest day what we did get though was so every day the postman comes around and, and yeah. delivers your messages for you um, which is really special like from day one it's just it's so amazing to receive messages from friends and family from home um, and it, you know it was reducing us all including the big guys um, to tears every day which is really lovely so obviously on rest day you tend to get a lot more messages um so that was quite nice just to take my time and I mean it took me a good couple of hours to, to get through them all um and then actually that evening they put on they flew in the the I think the Paris Opera Company I don't know if you've seen this at all it's amazing so you get a can of coke on rest day <laughs> as a treat um so we've seen in the final like competitors, the two French ladies, then we went to center the bivouac. And then yeah, they had this this string quartet and um this beautiful opera singer. Uh, and they'd laid out these rugs and everyone just sat drinking their coke, listening to opera as a sunset. It was uh, it was just right. one of those moments that you can't describe. I've taken pictures and videos, but it doesn't do it justice. Um, so that was really lovely. Uh, and then, of course, you got the marathon day the next day. So everyone was really buzzing, you know, like everyone was so happy to get through. All our tent mates had managed to get through at that point. Um, so we were just really, really happy to to, to be there at that, at that point. And they on that marathon, well, some of the other days, well, particularly that one, they have different starts for the top 50, the top 150 and everyone else. Yeah. I know you were setting off with the elites because you're an elite runner. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm an elite runner. That's what they said. <laughs> um, yeah, that was quite surreal to see my, that I was in the, yeah, so they'd sort of set like the bottom 200 off and then the remaining 
think about 137, something like that. Um, so it, it was quite surreal. So what was really nice was actually to be able to see off our tent mates. So there was myself and Leon. Um, so Leon had been uh, ranking quite high. He was kind of like 25th, 30th throughout. I think he finished like 22nd. Um, so we were able to go and sort of see off our tent mates and all our friends who we'd made. That was really nice to kind of be on the other side of the start line, see everyone off. And then we had about an hour um, to, to go back, which is when we met the camel spider. And then... Um, <laughs> Uh, and then I realised that my feet had swelled so much that I couldn't get them into my trainers with 15 minutes to go on the start. Wow. It's like, not like I you've got spare like, trainers, is it? It's not like being in yeah, your car yeah. somewhere in Britain again, I'll get another pair. <laughs> exactly. Um, and your socks are so stiff at this point as well, so that didn't help. And I wear like the Injinji toe socks, so you have to kind of really mould each one around each toe. And my toes were really sore and blistered at this point, so it was a very painful 10 minutes of trying to squeeze my feet in. Um, got there in the end but yeah so we it was very surreal sort of standing on the start line literally looking over and like Rashid and Mohammed are there and Aziza um all like you know the Moroccan winners and I was just like this is really weird I had like a massive imposter syndrome at that point I actually said to Leon I was like I don't I don't know why I'm here I think they've made a mistake and he was like you know, he gave me a good pet talk um, and sort of said, you know, you belong here, you've earned your place kind of thing. Um, so it was a really exciting day. It was a really exciting start. Um, and then, you know, the helicopters were kind of flying overhead. It was a very runnable course that day. It was the only day where actually it was mostly runnable. Um, so I sort of managed to get quite a decent pace going. Uh, I think it was three checkpoints. Started to get quite hot between two and three. I seem to remember kind of slowing down a little bit. Um, and I text my husband to say, because um, <clears throat> I was like, I think I was eighth woman overall. And it suddenly dawned on me, not that this matters, and I really hate this part of myself. I'm so competitive, but I will be open and honest about it. There was that, I suddenly thought, how much time is there overall between me and nine? Again, not that it would matter if I finished ninth, but um, so I texted him. He was like, well, there was 12 minutes between you and ninth um, when you set off, but she's closed in seven minutes. So I was like, oh my God, I've got five minutes to, <laughs> to play with. I was like, I, I really tried to pick up the pace, but then of course my heart rate kept going. So in the end, I was just like, I had about, 45 minutes of trying to push it and I, in the end I was just like have a word with yourself Laura and just you know let it go it's not important um and I, I and I what I didn't want to do what, what was happening was I started to not enjoy the stage because I was pushing really hard my heart rate was up it, and I just kind of thought you know let it go this is the last big stage you know just enjoy it um and I was just really pleased to finish um, first British that was that was the thing I didn't really care where I ranked elsewhere it's just I was really really proud um to sort of fly the flag as it were for, for the GB yeah yeah I'm very pleased <laughs> so on a side point that we didn't touch on before do you manage to keep your garment charged the whole way through um I did top it up actually so I yes yeah, so I, I, I say in the last I can't remember I said in part one that I'd, I'd just upgraded my watch to the six being six oh, yeah. so yes actually i only charged it once and it, was, it wasn't a full charge it was about 30 40 percent 
Um, it's through the long stage and the marathon and I'm yet to charge it and it's still got a good 16% on it to go. So somewhere on Strava, the lovely trace that you ran all the way across the desert for 250k, whatever it was. Sorry, say that again? There's the, a the Strava trace somewhere then, is there, of 250k across the desert? Yeah, but annoyingly, it wasn't actually 250k in the end. I think it was like 235. Because oh, everyone was very I know, it's really annoying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm that person if I go out for a run and I finish on like 4.95 miles yeah. I have to run up and down my drive I also do the same yeah yeah um yeah so I think it was like something like that so in the end because we also had the solidarity walk on the Saturday which was about eight and a half kilometers um which bumped it up a little bit so yeah I think we finished on something like two three five kilometers that um well, considering yeah. the hottest one ever, I think being a couple of K short is probably nothing to... Yeah, I mean, quite frankly, if they'd said to me, go and do another 15K to round it up, I would have just let it go and <laughs> just told them to jog on. Um, yeah. yeah, I was happy, happy with, the, with the, uh, the distance, as it were. So that, obviously, you've all finished in terms of your rankings on day five, then, or probably day six, stage five. Yeah. What's it like? Like, is that when you sort of party or do you wait until you've done this solidarity, what some people might yeah. consider a pointless walk the next day? Yeah, well, it's that funny thing because all the way up to going out to the desert, when people would ask me, what does each day look like? And I'd always kind of almost, you know, I regret this now, I'd almost kind of like sort of poo-poo the, the, the sixth stage and sort of be a bit like, well, and then they send us out for a yeah. cool down walk. It's a bit pointless, it doesn't count for anything. But actually it counted for everything because what it did is is it gave us an opportunity as a tent to walk together um it gave me an opportunity to literally fly the flag for hope for children with ran so john had dnf'd unfortunately earlier in the week so but the two of us were left with charity um and they do a really nice thing where um they walk you through the bivouac when you first cross the, the start line. Uh, so we're all in yellow t-shirts. That's the other thing. They, they gave out solidarity t-shirts um, the day before. So everyone's into like a sea of yellow. And- uh, a clean t-shirts, a luxury, whatever color it is at that point. So nice. <laughs> I was literally like, I was like, oh my God, it's soft, it smells nice. And <laughs> it's not like cardboard, it's not salty. Um, but yeah, they, they walk you through the, the bivouac um, and they do say, you know, this has been your home for the last week and now it's time to say goodbye. And it's really sad. Like people were crying, including me. And like all the Berbers stand on the side and everyone kind of cheers them along because they've been amazing as well. I mean, the, the, how they they quite literally come along every morning and they they decamp. They, they just literally tear it down move it along to the end point and set it all back up again in this perfect circle formation um they must have like a giant like protractor you know that just, like, <laughs> i don't know how they do it um it's amazing but uh, yeah so it was it was really it was really nice actually and then we were all collecting sands for home because my kids wanted me to take back sand and you know we were like fossil spotting and then you kind of get to the end and you basically walk back to civilization so like in the last kilometre, you get to see the coaches and there's like a little town that you walk to and obviously everyone comes out and cheers you along. Um, and you sort of take like your final photos as a group. It's really moving, actually. So, 
you know at one time I was sort of a bit sort of dismissive of that stage and now it totally was it it just wrapped up the week really beautifully I suppose it's just a shame you probably weren't more people isn't it it's quite a high attrition rate so you're thinking of all the people yeah make it. yeah it was it was sad to not it was just sad throughout the week to start the start line just got like less and less people um it, that that was really sad to see. It was, it was just, and I suppose that's very apparent, isn't it? Every morning, like if you do like a hundred mile ultra, you often almost don't know people are dropping out. So you get to the end and look at the results and go, oh, the, you know, yeah, everyone's dropped out. Yeah. And every morning you stood there going, oh, a few less than yesterday. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, it'd be, I think day three was like 120, so it was almost as much as day one and two combined. I, I, I sort of lost track after that. But thankfully, on the marathon day, only two dropped out. Yeah. And I don't know why. Um, but yeah, so and they were saying that's a bit more representative because actually the marathon day, the, for the first time a week, it was quite a bit cooler. I mean, I don't know how much cooler. <laughs> I mean, it was maybe probably under 50 or, yeah. maybe like late 30. It was quite oh, pleasant. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was quite, I don't know actually, I, I've never checked the, the figures on that one, but um, which then of course made it runnable and, and you know, there weren't people being sick and no. everywhere. <laughs> so when do you get the important medal and top one, is that the end of the solidarity stage, is it? The, the what, this? Um, yeah. You get it actually when you go back to the hotel. So we went, so after solidarity on that same day, they took us on a coach to uh Wazazat, which is quite a long coach journey, it's about four hours um and then the next day there's an expo in one of the hotels um and you go and you collect your shirt but but they very cleverly get you to walk through the mds shop and then you get your t-shirt again <laughs> so you know 60 euros later when i bought my family all t-shirts <laughs> <laughs> I've often copied that off like London Marathon and stuff, haven't yes, you exactly. on expo before you get out. Yeah, exactly that. So, um, yeah, it was really uh, just an incredible week. I can't. So when, when do you actually get like your first shower and stuff? Is it literally the dump at the hotel after that four hour coach? Yeah. Straight to so the straight the hotel was like a real hero's welcome. And what was really nice. Um, was that actually all, a lot of the non-finishers had stayed on. Quite a few flight flew home, which, to be honest, if it were me, I probably would have flown home. Um, but actually a lot of them then, they all came out to greet us and there was huge cheers. They had like these Moroccan musicians with like really loud drums and these ladies singing. And it was just a really kind of momentous occasion. It was a really warm welcome. Um, and sort of everyone kind of goes to it's a really nice hotel actually I have to say we really lucked out on that one thank you Steve and Sarah for putting us up in the, the, the hotel Berber Palace um so I I was like my thing was always going to be straight to the shower so my, my uh, tent mate Anna um had greeted me I was I was room sharing with her she was so excited she'd already checked me in got my, my suitcase into the room because of course when you get there then you've got a queue again oh, um, sorry, yeah. and I just kind of skipped the queue um straight to the room and then as we were passing that we passed a couple of guys and they were like we can get get a drink and I was like maybe I'll just have a little drink um so I actually ended up going having like three gin and tonics still in my desert after arriving I was just only like oh dinner's in an hour I probably what's getting clean up 
Um, and that first shower was just utter bliss. It was, I think I was in there for half an hour. It was just lovely. <laughs> I bet there was some sand to wash out after that, yeah. Yeah, just sand and salt and sweat and just dirt. They're just so dirty. Um, and my hair, I don't know if you've seen the video, there's a, a video where I sort of take my hair bobble out and my hair literally stays in position. Of course, it's, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you don't need yeah. hairspray, you just need to run across the desert. No, yeah, you just need to do a seven day ultra out in the desert. I mean, God, save yourself yeah. to you if you want to come in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's lovely it's a really nice hotel and we had a big feast that night because i ate so much <laughs> okay, did, did, um, that was a question actually a few people i've read very reports on said they lost so much weight over the course of it obviously you probably mm -hmm. do anyway but with a combination of dehydration and vomiting yourself daft how bad was it <laughs> so actually i didn't lose that much weight um it's difficult because obviously you can't weigh yourself till you get home on the Monday, by which point you stopped running two days ago. True, and yeah. in, in the <laughs> meantime, so I don't really know how much I lost. Like, I could definitely feel um, some weight loss, um, but it almost kind of was at the beginning of the week and then it kind of plateaued. And, and I mean, I don't know how because I, was, I wasn't a massive calorie deficit, mm. as was everyone else. Uh, and some people were visibly, you know, you could see in their face. I think she'd um, yeah, like really good, like sort of sculptured uh, cheekbones. Um, so, I, yeah, I think I did lose a bit, but actually, I mean, I've weighed myself since I got back, and I think probably only a couple of kilograms. It might still come out. I'm sort of hoping it's a bit like the opposite. You know, when you have Christmas and you eat loads and you think you got away with it, and then a week later it piles <laughs> on. I'm hoping it might work for me, and you know, I'll get like, really shredded, give it a few days, and I'll be like, really shredded. And <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I've, I've just I've lost a little bit, but not. I don't think it's even that noticeable. I'm yeah, certainly I mean, healthy, that's for sure. Been eating lots. Like if they weigh you before, I presume that any other time they weighed you, if they thought you're dehydrated or something during it, like a lot of ultras, is it? Sorry, say again. Did they weigh you before? You said when you set off. So uh, no, they're not. No. Even doing like Lakeland Hundred, we got weighed before and after, and that's a hundred miles in the Lake District. <laughs> And uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's it. I, to be honest, I thought we'd be ways. I was quite yeah, surprised. I would didn't expect that. I got to see the easiest way of working out yeah. if someone's dehydrated, isn't it? Well, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, no, they didn't weigh it. They just weighed our bags. Yeah. That's all they're interested in was our bags. <laughs> you could have lost like 20 kilograms and been a dehydrated husk and they wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a bit worrying, isn't it? So, how long did you hang around the hotel for then? I suppose you're, you're torn between wanting to get back to family and wanting to sit still and mm. eat. <laughs> yeah two, so we were there for two nights uh, so we didn't get there till sort of like early evening on the Saturday I think about five-ish half five we got there um, and then we left like Monday morning so we did have like one full day um, which is really nice it's just sitting around the pool we went to the expo for like an hour and then spent the rest of the day sitting around the pool yeah. um, and they put on like a really nice feast so it's all included in your package apart from Sunday lunch like the, the two evenings and breakfast of the part package. Um, and then on the second night, Sunday night, Steve did a really nice awards presentation. Um, so that was a bit unexpected because I, I actually got a, like a nice little trophy which I've got here. Um, so I was given this. Oh, highest. Yeah. 
nice place female um so yeah that was a really nice um surprise and uh they also gave prizes out for the oldest so this is just for the uk and ireland mm. by the way it's not obviously all competitors um i think the oldest was 66 and the youngest get this i didn't know this was a 16 year old girl I was amazed. Well, I got they, my daughter. I was like, "Right, you've got eight years." Uh, well, you wouldn't be allowed to run the London Marathon at sixteen. No. But could run a five-day stage race across the desert. Amazing, I know. Amazing, but um, yeah. And then they also got, had us standing up, so sort of by process of elimination, starting with the lightest packs. It was like who? So the, the minimum you got to have is six and a half kilograms um so this i think steve started at seven like who's pack weighed seven you know you sort of like a couple sit down and it was like eight lost a few kept going up <laughs> and then you were left with a handful um at which point literally everyone sat down and the last guy standing was 14 and a half kilograms i was like oh my god what did you he wasn't even a particularly tall big guy <laughs> so i was like it's not like he needs lots and lots of calories or food god knows what he packed I mean, my, my pack was heavy enough for me on the first day. Well, that's, I mean, everyone knows people get obsessive about weight. It's obviously gone the other way. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe took like a car battery with him to charge up all his devices. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> like a little DVD player for the night Apple time. Flask and tea. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I, God knows, but oh God, I can't imagine lugging that around. I mean, I, I cut back on a lot of things, but it was still that little bit too heavy or heavier than I would have liked it to be on day one. Yeah. Day two wasn't much better because actually you only lose about 400 grams of weight overnight. So, uh, yeah, crazy weight. Uh, he made it to the end, though. He was there. <laughs> to well, there you, go, then. <laughs> you know, it obviously worked for him. That is a lot, though, isn't it? So that was the sort of final night, and then the next day it must be a bit a mixture of happiness and sadness to be saying goodbye and getting back on aeroplane. Yeah, it was very strange. Um, it's that weird thing if you kind of get to a point, it's like when a holiday ends, you just want to get home then, you know, like you just want to get the flight over and done with. And, and I, was, I was so desperate to see my my children, my, my family at that stage. Um but then, yeah, it was it was really sad, actually. And it's felt quite sad since. It's been a real... I was just texting one of my um, my neighbour this morning, as in, like, my tent neighbour. Yeah. He was, like, just working from home, you know, wife's at, at work, little boys at school. And he's like, it's really lonely. I, <laughs> I was like, I know. Yeah. I was like that yesterday. <laughs> I went out today, met Helen for lunch. But, yes, I was at home. And uh, it was really odd. You just miss... Not only your tent mates, but actually, like I said earlier, I, I loved the simplicity of desert living. Mm. I really did. I mean, the toilets I could leave, but, <laughs> you know, other than that, like I just, it was lovely. Well, and it was really nice to be selfish. Yeah. That's the thing. As adults, and particularly as parents, you just don't get to be selfish. And it was really nice. And I have no shame missing. It was really nice. For it to be all about me for a week. <laughs> I loved it. Not, I don't mean necessarily from an attention perspective, but just to not have to do, you know, the school run, go to work, you know, the school pick-up school activities, the dinner, the getting them to bed, you know, getting myself to bed. It yeah. was just really nice just to sort of wake up and do the simplest of tasks and that be it. 
I think that's why a lot of people like running generally, isn't it? It's while you're running, it's just you doing that thing. You're not worrying about, yeah, picking the kids up from school or whether you need yeah. to get a car MOT'd or all that stuff. And yeah. being in the dev, it must be even more removed from that because it yeah, literally is get out, run a bit, eat a bit and go to bed. Yeah, it is quite literally like run, eat, sleep, repeat. Yeah. That's quite nice. Amazing. I'll do that again. <laughs> I would do MDS again. That's your next question. That was going to be the next question. So, yeah, would you do it again? <laughs> actually, I say that, but I, God, I actually hate myself for saying this because when I was out there, I was like, no, never again. I can now see the appeal of going back. Now that I've left and I feel so sad about leaving and missing mm. it, I can see why, but I always think, you know, when you've had a really good experience of something, you can never really repeat that. It's never quite the same. And I can't top, you know, finishing at the hardest, hottest MDS in history as first British female. Like I, I was going to say, it's not like you scraped in on, you know, under the cat off every day and had a mare. You've, yeah. You've yeah, <laughs> done amazing, so... Exactly. So I, I don't think so, but I wouldn't necessarily say no altogether. Just not anytime soon. So I guess overall the event went very well for you. Is there anything yeah. that you would have done differently or, you know, in terms of either training um, the kit, pacing, or maybe just sort of, could you mentally get yourself in a better place? Or is it always going to be a nightmare no. in the desert? I honestly put my heart and soul into preparation for this. Probably call my pack weight a little bit lighter. Um, but no, I mentally, I actually took on a like a positive mindset coach for this. Oh, I've got a terrible habit of lacking self-belief and the imposter syndrome. Um, and I knew that was a really big part of how I was going to conquer this. And um, so I've actually have been working with someone for the last couple of months. And she was brilliant. She messaged me every day. She'd like email in the messages. Um, so it was really nice to kind of hear from her. And just she had like a, a process in place for me. And I followed it strictly every day. The only day I didn't was day three because I got in that little bit later. And that's when I started to feel unwell. So it just took me that little bit longer to get my race admin sorted, by which point it was dark. So I didn't, I thought I'd always get my flasks ready the night before um, and get everything ready. So I could literally put my pack on the next day and be on the start line. And I didn't yeah. do that. So I woke up on the long stage day of all days, feeling a bit unprepared and a bit flustered. And I'd always do like a morning meditation and I didn't get to do it that morning. And so it really... I was still on that start line feeling really anxious and, and you know, sort of a bit unprepared, a bit unsettled. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I feel like I, I got probably most things right, if I'm entirely honest. I, I was obsessive about my heat training. Um, and I think that really set me up well out there. I and mean, it was still really hot, don't get me wrong, and I still suffered. But I dread to think how much harder it would have been without the preparation I put in with the heat acclimation. Um, as I say, probably just... My pack weight could have been a bit lighter, but actually when I think of it, I can't think what I would have cut back on because I did literally use everything. I mean, I, I probably ordered too many fuel tabs. I ended up binning a pack of fuel tabs halfway through. Um, I actually didn't take a mattress with me. So I had four nights of just sleeping on rocks. Nice. And um, yeah, it's really comfortable. Um, <laughs> um, and then I lucked out because, well, I say I lucked out, but it was it was I lucked out on other people's misfortune because the tent next to me 
basically like Raneth was the only one left. And when the last of his tent mates left, they ditched their mattresses. So he gave me one and so I did actually end up having two nights on a mattress, which like made all the difference. Mm-hmm. So it's that weird thing. Like I, I'd, I'd probably need to get my, my weight back a little bit, but then I would take a mattress. So I don't know. Yeah. But At least it's not because uh, even on like 100 miles, I get to the end of it and to my pack and find stuff that I forgot even packed. So yeah, and I that's do that. annoying for 100 miles. That'd be really annoying yeah. a week later to go, why did I pack two toothbrushes? Exactly. <laughs> It's I'm terrible for that. Like I just overpack. I I pack for every eventuality in yeah. case it's cold, in case it's hot, in case it rains, <laughs> in case I'm hungry, in case I get stomachache, in case I'm getting digestion, <laughs> and it all adds up, of course. Completely, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, there's, there's actually not much I would change if I'm entirely honest. Like I really feel like I'm my preparation was was really good. I think the fact that, yeah, you, well, the fact that you finish at all is amazing based on how many didn't, but yeah, finishing that strongly is a definite sign you knew, you knew what you were doing, so. Yeah. Well, I didn't know when you was doing, but well, I think so. Well, it well. Yeah. <laughs> That's just me all over, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> just wing it through life. Um, no, I think you know, not going out hard on day one made a difference. I went out and I, I sort of really respected the conditions and just try to suss them out and try to suss out you know like the salt tabs and how much water to drink because I found myself like really guzzling water on the first day realizing that made me feel really unwell so I, I kind of would literally take four very long sips of, of tailwinds followed by one very long sip of normal water um and that worked for me okay. so I did get really sort of anal about sort of the way I did things each day so would you recommend it to anyone else then? Yeah, totally. I really would. I really, really would. It's it's terrifying. And now I sat on it for years. In fact, when I first heard about it, I was like, my God, that's, that's like the most awful, hellish race on the planet. Why would anyone do that? <laughs> and then year by year, I sort of started to watch it more on social media. And then sort of my, I could feel you know, my interest started to peak a little bit. But yeah, no, I, I think it's one of those things that just, anyone who's thinking about it and I've had a lot of people say on like my social media last couple of days saying oh this is a race I want to do but I'm too scared or you know it's on the bucket list I would say just just take the plunge because it is terrifying but actually if you get your preparation right and you get your training right there's no reason why you you don't belong on the start line when it comes to it and it is extraordinary the entire week I know we've had a rough week and perhaps there are times that might not be the word I'd use for it but overall it has been an extraordinary experience and quite literally life-changing I you know someone said to me you'll leave part of you out in the desert and I didn't really know what that meant and I now know but I can't tell you what it means because I, I can't describe it it's you do you you go out in that desert it demands respect again and again and again and the yeah. moment you step up, it reminds you of just how hostile it is. And then almost rewards you with the beauty of it. You know, it's just, it's amazing. It totally does sound amazing, amazing. I have to say, yeah. Uh... You said it now. That's yeah. a little bit of interest there. <laughs> I just don't think it was to find off at home. That's the problem with that. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it is a huge commitment. It's not just the training. I mean, obviously, the trip itself, I was away for 10 days, longest, away I've, been, longest I've been away from my family. So it, that was tough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and no, I, I would highly recommend it to anyone who, who wants to give something like that a go. But how do you follow this up then? Because it's not going to be quite the same doing park run after this, is it? <laughs> I don't know, I can't look forward to doing a nice 5k in the field, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if I can really. I think, you know, there are other races I want to do. I'm really keen to do Fire and Ice, um, oh, maybe yeah. 2023, probably not next year. Um, I've had a nice invite out to the Ultrax World Championships in Slovenia next June. Nice which I'm quite keen to do. It sounds amazing. I'm not particularly experienced in mountain running, so um, I don't know. I need to make a decision soon. But, um, Have you got yeah, nothing booked as we speak? Then you're literally sat here finishing your bucket list race. With I know, yeah. yeah I know, it feels a bit weird because I'm not going <laughs> Yeah, maybe I should. I mean, my knees and ankles will probably thank me for that. But... Um, no, I'm not quite ready to retire just yet. But uh, I know it feels weird because I do normally always have something booked mm. in, even if it's like a year down the line. But this is the first time. Um, but actually, I, I feel this is the right thing for now. I've, you know, it's been two years of training on and off. My my poor 42 year old body is begging for a little bit of just time to recover. And also, I just want to, you know, spend time with family and friends, you know, because you sacrifice like your social life and. <laughs> You know, the amount well, of times hanging out in your air and cupboard isn't the fun way to spend your food. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so just, you know, just want to sort of catch up. There's stuff around the house that needs doing. Just sort of want to take a little bit of break for a while and then... I'm sure like, when are you going to start just running socially again? Are you going to have a strict sort of two weeks off or...? No, I, I, I'm actually really keen to run at the moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think we're going to get a Saturday morning. I feel ready. I mean, actually, my legs feel fine. I'm, like, remarkably, I feel fine. I'm really tired. That's oh. the only thing. So I'm a bit bit wary that probably, like, my immunity is a little bit low at the moment. I'm a bit run down. So obviously this can be quite sort of high-risk time to pick up illnesses. Mm. So, um, but no, physically, I feel fine. Oh, my legs never ate. I, I can't tell you how amazed I am by the human body after this week. I mean, if I'd run... In a, an event in England or just done a one day event and my feet ended up the way they did on day one I would have like taped them up and, and not run for a few days but on the contrary I got it the next day went out and battered them even more <laughs> and did that day after day after day oh. um, and I was never tired either that's the other thing is that I you, know, you don't sleep particularly well some nights better than others but you're still not really getting much sleep so I was never particularly tired I never ate even after the long day um it's like my body just hung on and hung on and hung on and then the funny thing is like Saturday morning so after the marathon stage just before we do the walk we all woke up and all of us went oh my god I ate so much and I'm so tired and and it was like all of a sudden our body just went oh my god thank god it's over like now we've got okay to do today just like yeah. I think you've done a very good recount there of everything. And yeah, I think you might upset a few marriages with people that now want to do it as well, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you might be named in divorce proceedings. 
well, if they don't have a good experience, it might be worth it. So. Exactly. Brilliant. Well, thank you for coming on there and a good luck well, for whatever you, so you decide to do next. Gather on about it or I could talk all day about it, but hopefully um, others will feel inspired to go out. And if not MDS, then whatever race it is that people have been thinking about doing and haven't quite ever had the courage to go and do it because the moment I made that decision was the moment really that it all changed. And does every race come with its own social media secretary on Twitter that like you have? Then? <laughs> yeah, I need to put my head up my head, don't I? <laughs> my amazing social media. And now my agent's after meeting her today. So people are asking for talks. And she's like, why are they asking me to organise it? <laughs> <laughs> Bless her. She's just been absolutely amazing. She really is a, one of a kind, that one is. She's... Yeah, she was, when I met her after London Marathon, she was thrusting her phone in my face, going, look how well she's doing. No, she's, like, we met today and we just talked and sort of talked. She's, she's unbelievable. She's, Amazing. you know, she's a great, great friend. Yeah. She keeps beating me in every race that I go up against her, though, so, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to avoid running with her. She's, she's, yeah, obviously we all know she's a great ultra runner, but what Helen is is very consistent and very stubborn. Yeah. So she'll, you know, she'll get it done. I know um, you say, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much for that. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Thanks to Lauren for coming on. It really gives us insight into that race. And apologies to anyone now who has to run off and check their bank balance and their diary for next year to see if they want to join her. That's it for this episode. So until next time, goodbye. Okay. Okay, I think it's all gone. Game over.